I'm going to walk through the Christmas story, okay? I'm sure all of you guys have been lied to your whole life. The details you have are all wrong. I'm going to inform you on the true Christmas story. So Jesus Christ, it's about one of the few things that's true about it, um, was not born in Bethlehem. He was born in Jerusalem. He only lived 27 years. His beloved disciple was not who you think it was. It was James. His work was actually only two years. If you actually study it out, it was only two years long. Um, he died and rose again on the fourth day, which I thought was interesting. He walked the earth afterwards for 30 days, seen him men. And then after that, he left. They had to find a 12th disciple, and Stephen was that 12th disciple. All right? You guys all good with that? Who can tell me the real Christmas story? Nobody? Seriously? Can someone, can someone tell me the real Christmas story? Come on. The facts I had, I want somebody to go back through and t- tell me the Christmas story. Tell me, tell me everything that happened from the start to the beginning. Try and, try and correct. Try and correct, yeah. Start back in Genesis. Come on, summary, summary. Somebody quick. Sam. So Jesus was born in, I remember everything you said. Okay. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Okay. Um, not in December, though. Okay. Like Christmas in December. I don't care the month. That's fine. Um, <laughs> okay. So he was born in Bethlehem. He did not live to be 27. He lived to be 33 okay. and a half. Okay. Um, Who is his beloved disciple? John. Okay. How long was his work? Three and a half years. Okay. Um, when when did he raise again? On the third day. Okay. How long did he walk the earth after he rose? 40 days. Okay. And then who is that 12th disciple? Matthias. Matthias. Espanol. Matthias. All right, so you guys all straighten out on that. We'll come back to that. I just want you guys to, to think about that a little bit. Who's is true, though? I don't know. Mine sounded pretty good. But Sam's is, is a little easier to remember, I will admit. All right, so we'll, we'll get back to that. Just keep that stored away in your mind. So reaching your Jerusalem, it's a study we're doing on Wednesday nights, um, really going around evangelism. Last week, we kind of laid the foundation of your life, who you are, um, your life speaking. We looked at um, your words, your actions, and basically you know, who you are, the things that you say, the things that you do, and how they speak to those around you subliminally. How a lot of times the, the emotions that you have, the things you say and do, how they impact those around you. They either deter people or they draw people in. They're deterring either the right or wrong, and they're drawing in the right or wrong, and how important your life is. And that rolls right into what we're going to be talking about this evening, which is sharing your testimony. To me, This is one of the most important, one of the most effective, one of the most impactful ways of witnessing to an individual is your testimony. There's no denying life change. There's no denying what Jesus Christ did to you. People can come at you and and attack the Bible, whether it's true or not. They'll come all the time. But somebody to attack what God has done in your life, somebody to come at you and say, well, no, there's no way that that happened in your life. And you just take a step back and you're like, look, I was once this person. Now look at me. Or the world is going this way. I got a call for this. You can't explain the path that I'm on outside of Jesus Christ. Your testimony is the most powerful way that you can share the gospel to those around you. Acts 1.8, again, it's going to be our anchor verse. And I'm going to leave that blank every week because I want you guys to write in there your field, your Jerusalem. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in, we know it's Jerusalem, but where is your Jerusalem? And in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You were called to go, as Matthew 28 says. Go and preach, go and share. God has you in your specific place in life for a reason. Your Jerusalem. The big thing we're going to look at tonight and practice a little bit is sharing your testimony. So the key, you can't persuade men of something that you're not persuaded of yourself. Go over to 2 Corinthians 5.11. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Boy, this verse has a lot of practical applications, even outside of the Bible. It's very hard to persuade 
men or anybody for that matter of something that you're not persuaded of or something that you don't believe in yourself. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, okay, knowing that judgment that's withheld, knowing the power of the Lord, knowing the one who's able to kill not just the body but the soul, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God. We are made plain. We are revealed. We, we share these things honestly. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. We persuade men. So back to the point, you can't persuade men of something that you're not persuaded of yourself. Is the Bible a hill that you're willing to die on? Is the Bible something that you're fully persuaded is true? And I'll give you an example. You know, at work, I get dogged on a lot because I have, I'm over the maintenance department. And for those of you guys who know anything about maintenance, mechanics, electricians, they're, they can be a rougher crowd. They can be a little more conservative, which I enjoy, but it can bring with it um, challenges. And during COVID, it can bring with it a lot of challenges. We have a mask mandate. I'm not persuaded of this mask mandate. We have a vaccine mandate getting rolled out. I'm not persuaded of this vaccine mandate. So when I have management coming down to me and saying, you need to instill this. You need to tell your guys, look, they need to be wearing their masks. They need to be compliant with this. It's really, really hard for me to persuade them to give them a message that's honest from my heart without saying, look, I think this is bull crap, but we have to do it. Which basically in, in a more respectful way is, is how that message is, is given to them. Because I'll comply. I'll be a, a good testimony. These are men without Jesus Christ though, and they're sick of getting pushed around. So how do you think they're going to respond? But it's hard. It's really hard for me because I don't believe in what I'm trying to persuade them to do. Now, if you have that same mentality with the Bible, well, that's a big problem. If you don't believe the power of the Bible, if you're not persuaded that this Bible is absolutely true and people need it just like liberals think that everybody needs a mask, you're going to have a problem. You've got to be persuaded. Persuaded. <laughs> you've got to be persuaded that this book is true. You're gonna have you're you're not gonna be compelling at all to those that you're trying to share it, trying to share it with. So you can't persuade men of something that you're not persuaded of yourself. Yourself, are you persuaded that this book is true? So point number one, kind of a, a different take on this: the impact of your testimony. I want you to think of yourself personally and how how real these are to you, how true these are in your life. So think about some of these impacts that your personal testimony has on you. The impact that it's had on you, the difference that it's made in your life. Letter A, past. Your pre-salvation destination was hell. Plain and simple. Flip over to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. The things we lose sight of a lot but your pre your pre-salvation destination was hell i would say that your testimony your salvation testimony had a pretty big impact on where you were going for all of eternity before you were saved you were destined on a path for hell psalm 86 can someone read verse 13 dustin For great is thy mercy. You know, who can tell me, who can give me a, a very simple definition on mercy? What's mercy? Carson. When you deserve a punishment, you don't get it. Yeah, when you deserve punishment, when we deserve damnation and hell for all of eternity. I got news for you. If you're sitting in here and you're saved today, you still deserve hell for all of eternity. But God is very merciful to you. God has delivered you delivered your soul from the lowest hell. Don't ever forget that. Flip over to Matthew chapter 10. Again, these are things that changed. These are things that impacted you the day you got saved. Mentioned this a little bit earlier in my intro. Have someone read verse 28. Kendall. Yeah, that, that's God. Again, knowing the terror of the Lord. Do you believe that that's, you know, people refer to him as the man upstairs, the creator, you know, all that. I mean, that, that's the God that we serve. 
The God that created it and breathed everything into existence, that has the power to send people's souls to hell just like that, and they're fully deserving of it. Understand what you've been saved from. And again, the impact that, the, that your testimony had, the, the past life that you had, the thing that you've been saved from, that we righteous, we, we deserve. Matthew, we're not going to turn there. Matthew 25, 41, talking about that final judgment. Jesus Christ looking into those on his left, he says, depart from me into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Hell is not some party that people say that they're just going to go to and hang out with their friends. Hell's a horrible, horrible place. A place never meant for human beings. Flip over to Romans 5. Love this verse. Verse 9, but much much more than being now justified by his blood, being paid for, being set free, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Remember your past. Remember the moment you got saved, how your residence changed, how your direction changed, how close you were to that edge. Have you ever thought about that? For those of you that are saved in here today, I mean, think about it. Think about the moment you got saved and then all your life before that and how you were just walking right up on the edge of eternity. One move, one, one action away from entering into eternity without Jesus Christ. A lot to be thankful for. The testimony, that salvation changed your life forever. But man, when we lose sight of that, you know what we do? It dulls our testimony. It takes away some of that impact. takes away some of that persuasion. When we really forget the past, the past of us, who we were and what we were destined for. Let her be the present. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You are a child of God. Flip over to Romans 6. You guys are already in 5. Not a lot of turning. We're going to work through 6 a little bit. I just love the progression of these verses. Verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The day you got saved, you were dead unto sin. You got news for you. You don't have to say yes to sin anymore. I remember when I first heard that when I got saved and Jay's going through that in discipleship and I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, this, I I can actually say no to this sin. Yeah, I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to struggle with this. But in those moments, I don't have to submit to it. I am dead to that sin. I'm not a slave to that sin. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Again, touching on the past, but presently, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. I want to stop right there. If you find yourself struggling with sin over and over and over and over, usually two positions you're in. One, you've seared your conscience, you've walked away, but the majority of the time, don't have the Spirit of God inside working inside you. And that was me. When I entered into discipleship, you know, it's going to be an interesting conversation when I stand before God. And I'm like, God, when did I get saved? Was it when I was five years old? I remember I was sitting in a bathtub. I always always say it wrong. I would say sitting in the bathtub with my mom, but she was in the bathroom (laughs) while I was in the bathtub. And I I looked at her and I said, hey, mom, how do I get to heaven? And, you know, she loved me and she shared it with me and I prayed her prayer, but I'll be honest, I don't know if I fully understood it then. And I struggled with sin and I felt enslaved to the sin. I'm like, I can't get out of this sin. And then, man, when I went through discipleship, I don't know what happened. If it was God's spirit coming into me and actually allowing me to say, no, I'm not going to let that rain in my body. Or if it was me understanding the Bible and how to use it, it's one of two, one of two realms. But if you're struggling with sin in here today, it's one of those two things. You're either not letting the Bible be the boss in your life 
or you don't have the spirit inside of you, and you're, you're destined to lose right from the start. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, he became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness and holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, again, past, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Here's your present. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness in the end of end everlasting life. And then here's the Romans road. Key verse. That's the whole context leading up to it. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, when you got saved, a testimony that you have, you ever viewed yourself as that? Free from sin? A lot of times we can over-spiritualize that and say, well, yeah, when I stand before God, he's going to see Jesus Christ. Yes, that's true. But you're free from sin right now. There's a war going on. You pick who you serve. You pick your flesh unto death practically, or you pick, you pick the Spirit, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit living inside you. Which one do you serve? But your testimony marked the point. Your salvation marked the point where you're like, I don't have to serve sin anymore. If you're having victory in your life, your testimony, man, it's having impact on you, is it? And let her see future. You have the power and responsibility to affect eternity again. Just sit on that for a little bit. You have the power and, quite frankly, the responsibility to affect eternity. What are the two things in this world that are eternal? Love the hand raised, but yes. <laughs> Souls of men and the Word of God. The Word of God, it's said, it's established for all of eternity. We have the ability to affect the souls of men. We have the ability to change the citizenship in heaven. We have the ability to add to the citizens in heaven. And that's something awesome to be a part of. That's something to be excited about. That's something that happened when you got saved. You're part of that winning team, and we're called to go out and recruit and bring people in, share that good news. You know, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus Christ, one of the last things he said, go. Go, teach all nations, reach your Jerusalem, share these things. You have an awesome purpose the day you got saved. Your life, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, I'd say it about me as well, your life matters. Your purpose is being fulfilled the day you got saved. Your foundation is laid. Flip over to Romans chapter 10. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The day you got saved, your testimony, it made you a partaker of this work. You can impact eternity. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going somewhere with this. First Corinthians 9. Verse 19. This was Paul's heart. This was Paul's motivation. For though I be free, verse 19, from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them, gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Jump down to verse uh, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race, all but, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Does that sound like a man that's persuaded in these things? Does that sound like a man that his testimony, the second he got saved, his life was never the same? I mean, he's the one that wrote 2 Corinthians 
He's a man completely sold out for God. And what I want to share with you guys is his testimony, it mattered. His testimony was powerful. His testimony was living proof. When you remember your past, when you know about your present, when you're looking forward unto your future, your testimony, it's powerful. You don't have to try at it. You know, don't raise your hand, but think about it in your life. If I told you, hey, I want you to share your your salvation testimony with somebody at school, somebody random, you're not going to know who it is tomorrow, bam, put you on the spot. How many of you guys would be like, ooh, I got to think, I got to write that down. I got I to gotta think about a lot of these details, which isn't a bad thing. You want to shore it up and make sure that you got the details all in order, but it should just naturally flow out. You think about how different you are because of it. Your, whole, your e- eternal residence has changed. The decisions you make in this world, you have the ability to say no to sin. And you have the responsibility and the ability to change the entire citizenship of heaven. Your whole life has changed. There's nothing the same about you because of your testimony. Do you share your testimony like these things are true in your life? If not, are they true in your life? Really, think about it. Do you think about your life as a life that was destined for hell? That God saved? Do you see yourself as a slave to sin or someone that's been set free? but just making excuses and and abusing God's grace. Do you view this world as a harvest that you need to go out and you need to work? You will be a dull, flat, and apathetic Christian when it's shared out of duty and false living. One of the most miserable ways to live in this world is with a false testimony. It becomes work. There's no passion. And you'll be exposed as a walking hypocrite when you don't believe these things, when your life isn't, isn't full of these things, bringing shame to you and more importantly to God. It's a miserable way to live. You know, when I think of that, it strikes fear in me. Anytime sin enters my mind or I blow it or I just do something stupid, but it's so much easier to have a testimony, an honest testimony that's pleasing to God and to be honest about it when you mess things up you know, one of the biggest builders in, in our marriage is when I, when I go to Brandy and I'm like, yeah, I messed it up big time. I shouldn't have talked to Emma like that or I shouldn't have talked to you like that. Or, You know what that does? It, it mends things. Honesty. She doesn't want just some show from me. This world doesn't want some show from you. This world's not going to respond to a show from you. They're going to see, they're going to hear what you're saying, then they're going to see the life that you go and they're going to be like, screw that. Whatever Jesus has done is your life. It's no different than my life. I don't want that crap. Live a life that is pleasing to God, and we're all going to mess up. But be honest when you do. You know, Proverbs 24, 16, For a just man falleth seven times, and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. We're going to fall. Get back up. I got a note on your sheet. When you live honestly... You don't have to remember anything. Think about that for a little bit. When you have an honest testimony, when you have just simple living, simple, honest living, you don't have to remember anything. So I go back to my Christmas story. I need a volunteer other than Sam, because he already volunteered. Just one volunteer. All right, Dustin, share with me the Christmas story that I shared with you. All right, 0 for 1. Somebody else. Caleb. Um, let's see, where did you start? Uh, he was born in Jerusalem, okay. not Bethlehem. Uh, he only had here's a, two years. He only did work for two years. Um, How many disciples did I say he had? Uh, huh? I don't remember that one. Okay. Uh, he rose again four days later okay okay little it's a little difficult isn't it now if i asked you guys to share with me the christmas story like i asked sam you'd nail all that if i said what city was jesus born in what would you say bethlehem Bethlehem. if i asked you how old he was when he died 33 and a half 
How long was in dentistry? Three and a half. What date? If I asked you all those things, you would know. But I told you a lie. It's a little harder to remember that lie, isn't it? There's some details there. Caleb remembered some. Dustin just completely aced it. <laughs> it's hard to remember those details, isn't it? And even something I didn't say. You know, I didn't lie about how many disciples he had. But I had you question it, didn't you? You're like, crap, did he? Did he change how many disciples? And you know what you do? You start to forget things. It's a lot easier to remember the truth. It's a lot easier to remember the foundation. It's a lot easier to remember the experience. And I'll give you an example. When I was, oh gosh, I think a sophomore. I share this all the time. Uh, I had a little bit of a, an inkling for Brandy. And I don't even think I had to lie about it. See, that's how, that's how stupid we are sometimes. You know, we lie about things and I'm like, whatever. But I told my mom that I was going out and hanging out with some friends. Well, that was sort of true. I, I was going out and hanging out with Brandy. Told her all the friends were guys. That was an absolute lie. Um, told her I was just going to a house. Ended up going to Olive Garden. And I told her, and I manufactured this whole story. Then I get home and my mom's asking me about it. So how was so-and-so? I was like, oh, shoot. I did say that. All right. How many disciples did I say Jesus had again? And I start, you know, I didn't say that, but it, my point is I start, <laughs> I start, I start questioning literally every detail. You know why? Because I can't remember how I lied to her. I can't remember the, the, the lie that I put on this shelf for her to believe so that I could go and enjoy this truth. Man, it would have been so much easier just to tell the truth. I wouldn't have to remember anything. I could just walk right through the, the night. Very simple to live that way. Man, do we do that with our Christian life? We try, you know, if, if your testimony is not natural to share, is it really true in your life? The Jesus Christ, is there really an impact of your testimony? Or are you having to manufacture it? Are you having to make up stuff that God's doing in your life? Are you having to invent some God thing in your life that's just gross? I've been there. I've done that at... I hope Jay's not listening. I did it a couple times when I was in discipleship with Jay because I was afraid of how I would look rather than just being honest, which is what I guarantee you he would have preferred because then God can do something with that. Live an honest life, an honest testimony. Man, it'll speak. Look in John 9. I love, love this story. But when you live honestly, you don't have to remember anything because it's just your life. If I said, hey guys, remember the details surrounding Jesus' birth, you're like, I don't know. it's already embedded in me. I don't have to. It's already there. But if I said, remember the details, remember the lies that I gave you around his birth, you're like, uh, crap, what did he say again? I'll tell you, that's a stressful way to live. And it's a miserable way to live because you know you're living a lie. And you're, you know what it... It does. It makes your testimony ineffective. You become very apathetic towards the work. John 9, we're going to work through a, a good amount of this. Um, very familiar story. Verse 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. All right, so we got the story of the blind man. Jump down to verse 5. As long as I... So Jesus is talking here. They're kind of like, you know, why is he blind? Is it because he sinned? Did his parents sin? Jesus is like, no, I have a work I need to do in this man. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, cool word, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, go, wash in the pool of Shalom, which is, in, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before him before had seen him, that he was blind, said, is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him, but he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes open? I love his answer. And he, and he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Shalom and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Simple, honest. He's like, how did you see? I'm just going to tell you exactly what happened. Jesus came, said, do this, do that, wash my eyes, I can see. Verse 12, then said they unto him, where is he? He said, I know not. 
They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes and I washed and do see. See, he's getting asked multiple times. Very simple, very honest answer. I have nothing to glory in and of myself. Jesus Christ came, he did it all. Verse 16, therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight. They didn't believe what he said until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son whom ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His, his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself, cowards. Verse 22, These words spake his parents because they feared the, feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. You see, the enemy is going to try everything in its power to discredit your testimony. It's going to their parents, asking them multiple times, trying to get them to trip up, trying to get him to say something that's incorrect, trying to discredit the work that Jesus Christ did in, in his life. And I got news for you, he's doing the same thing to you guys. Don't give him an opportunity. Don't give place for the devil. Don't give him a foothold in your life. Don't give him a reason to bring shame, to discredit your testimony. Live an honest life. Very simple story going on here. And Satan's not having it. He's sick of the simple answers. He's like, no, that's, that doesn't make sense. That can't be right. He's trying to find a way to discredit him. Verse 24 then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Simple. I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he say thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. You see what's going on here? They don't like it. And the enemy is trying to come against. The enemy is trying to discredit. The enemy is trying to bury in on him. Keep it simple. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And he doesn't have all the answers. If you look down at verse 34, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins and dost thou teach us? Get out. And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found them, he said unto them, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou, both, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. See, God can do a lot with a simple, common man and woman. Just approach him honestly. Don't approach God with any agendas. But then have an honest testimony. You imagine how easy it would have been to discredit him if he started to fumble along his words or if he tried to give a little bit of the glory to himself. Jesus Christ's work would have been ruined in that moment. He would have moved on. Don't give the enemy a reason to discredit your testimony. That's a testimony with honest power. So I want you to think about your own testimony. Is it honest enough that you can stand up and say, look... You don't have to think about it. You don't have to lie about your life. If we were to look at the last week of your life, yeah, there's mistakes, but you got up, you made them right. This is what God's been doing in my life. Since salvation, this is how God's been working in my life. Is your salvation, is your testimony something that you're proud to share to people? Because I'm telling you, that is one of the most powerful tools that God has given you to bring people to Jesus Christ. So obviously, Satan is going to do everything in his power to dull that tool, to make it useless. He's going to attack your character. He's going to attack your, uh, just your public testimony. He's going to slip sin into your life. Anything he can to discredit your testimony. Don't let him. Because if you do, point number two doesn't even matter. Working through the key elements of your testimony. We're going to go to Acts 26, and then we're going to, we're going to break up for a little bit. Probably one of the best documentations of salvation 
of how to properly give a testimony and the four key components. So the first one, where were you in your life before salvation? What did your life look like? You know, we're going to jump down to verse uh, four. My manner of life, Paul, talking to King Agrippa here, he says, all right, the floor is yours. Share your testimony. Who is this Jesus? What happened in your life? Speak for thyself. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Unto the promise, of, unto the promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I had to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them unto strange cities. So your testimony... What were you before your testimony? What were you before salvation? Some of you in here, you know, you got saved at a young age and you've walked with God ever since. That's awesome. Talk to the blessing of that. I'd give my life to have a testimony like that. But I let God still use the power of the mistakes I made prior. What was your life prior to salvation? Where did you come from? Where were you in your life before salvation? Now, we're not going to read through verses 12 through 18, but who delivered the message of salvation? Who brought that message to you? Who brought it to Paul? Jesus. Jesus. Who brought the message of salvation to you? I'm telling you, that's a key detail. Because you know what it does for the person that's listening? It lets them know, hey, you are basically that for me. I'm telling you, that was discipleship for me. Jay would share certain things where people would were coming up to him and witnessing to him. I remember the bus driver, what was his name? Mr. Church? Isn't that his name? You're like, yeah, I don't know. He had a, had a cool, cool name. Where was his youth pastor, I think, at that time? Anyways. Are you talking about Jay? Yeah. The bus driver? Yeah. Was it Mr. Church? As we digress. Whatever. Anywho, he had a cool name that was like, I never obviously forgot, trying to pin on who it is. But the point is, when he was sharing how these people were intersecting in his life and talking to him, you know what it did in my mind? I'm like, God, you're sending someone right now to do the same thing for me. Be real. Be honest. Who delivered that message of salvation to you? Because you could very well be the person that you're sharing your testimony with to them. And then how did you respond? When someone's asking for your testimony and they want to see, okay, well, what was your response at first? Were you resistant? Did you receive it with gladness? And why did you respond that way? Verses 19 through 20 when he received it, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto, this, unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus. I went where he told me, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. My life was completely different. I had a high calling from God. Paul's entire life changed. How did he change? He went out and he wanted to tell people. That's how he responded. And then what happened in his life as a result? Verse 21, For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. So what happened in your life as a result of your salvation? These are things you got to have down. you got to be honestly living. Because when these opportunities come up, you're going to fumble. You're going to have to try and remember these things. Why? Because they're not true in your life. We all have a testimony. And if you don't have a testimony... Talk to somebody. Think about these things. This could be the very night that you get saved. If this, if this is the first time that things click in your mind. So I want you to think. You guys got some blanks down there. I don't know how much time we have tonight. But I want you to write down what is your testimony. 
and use those questions kind of as a guide just to kind of lay it out a little bit. Where were you in your life before salvation? Who delivered the message of salvation to you? How did you respond in that moment? And what happened in your life as a result? Your affections change, your desires change, your purpose And if you're sitting there and you're like, you know, I don't really have a testimony. I don't have anything to write down. Write down some questions and talk to somebody after class. Not in here by accident. Jesus Christ didn't die for a select few. He died for the entire world. Make that right tonight. If that's something that you have doubt about, if you're listening to these things tonight, you're like, man, I just, I think I'm in the boat of not being saved. Don't let tonight go away without making those things right. Give you another 30 seconds. Thirty-five seconds. And then I'm gonna ask for three volunteers. You don't even know what you're volunteering for. So Caleb's one of them. Dustin, need a girl. I'll preface it with, you're gonna be sharing what you wrote down. So if you're uncomfortable or but I want three volunteers to share share your testimony. And I want you to share it from the perspective of someone comes up to you and says, what has Jesus ever done for you? Why, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you love Jesus? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you go to church? What, is, what has he ever done in your life? And then in enters your testimony. All right, Caleb, let's hear you. Come on up here, buddy. What'd you say, big boy? Good thing Andy's not here. Um, my testimony is, is I thought I was saved for a long time, and I was fighting with it. I couldn't sleep at night. And Aaron Stanley, every Wednesday night, he would, he would before he would pray, he'd be like, if anybody is in here that isn't saved... Let them be convicted tonight. And that really did convict me. And it brought me to tears one night on Wednesday, Wednesday night when I was in my bed. And I couldn't sleep. I just got down on my knees and got saved. And God was working with me for a long time on that. And that was in fifth grade. So, yeah. so you said the word saved. What, what does saved mean? What do you mean saved? Like you're obviously different than I am. I'm your lost friend. <laughs> you're, you're, I was like, what? you're you're di- you're different than I am. You know, you, you go to church. Like, what saved? What do you mean by saved? He died on the cross for me and took away my sins, so I can be in heaven forever. So, how, like, how how did you get saved? What did you do? You just ask for forgiveness. Ask Jesus. Mm-hmm. And pray. Mm-hmm. And then see how that. I mean, that could just segue right into. Where did you know? Where does it say that? We're not going to work through all that, but just. But, but you see how you know we can get so accustomed sometimes to these words like saved, convicted, some of these buzzwords that we have in church that this lost world might not know. You know, so those are things that as you're working through your testimony, you're getting ready to share it. You know, be ready for questions like that. Be ready to bring it down to a lost person's uh, vocabulary. So. Be, be ready to articulate those things to somebody who has never heard these things before. So, good. All right, Dustin. Here we go. All right, so I'm your lost friend named Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah, I know. Jimmy's coming back. All right, so Jimmy. No, you're Jim. I'm Jimmy. You're Dustin. So, so Dustin, I've noticed a difference in you. You know, you, you go to church. Shoot, your uncle's a pastor, so that's got to mean something for you. You know, what, what, what changed? What changed in your life? So uh, 
in fifth grade during VBS, we were learning about like hell and all that. And I thought I was saved for a while. And that night I got saved again. And I lived a good four years thinking that I was all fine going to heaven until one night at summer camp last year, I was really convicted by our lesson. And uh, when Stephen was praying, and usually before when he prays, he says, like, when you're not saved, just raise your hand if you want to get saved. And uh, me and Cam went up into, like, one of the rooms that we did our Bible studies in, and we sat there. We went over what it means to be saved, and we prayed, and we were saved. So what, what is it, like, what does that mean? What did that conversation look like? So I told him that I've been lying to my parents and my uncle for four years saying that I was saved because I just wanted the attention. I wanted to have the assurance that I was saved. So when I was convicted, it had in my heart that I shouldn't be lying anymore and that I should just deal with my sin and that I should ask for forgiveness. And that could work into sin what do you mean by sin wait so you're telling me that i'm not saved well, what is saved how do i get saved and you know again working on those those words and being able to to bring that down to a lost person's level but i appreciate your honesty you four-year liar <laughs> all right one more volunteer emily oh dear I said, oh, man, it is like a hundred degrees yeah, in here. thousand degrees. Gosh. All right, Emily. So, so my last friend, his uncle was a pastor. Didn't really do it for me. No offense, Dustin. Um, but your dad's a pastor. So I expect, I expect something a little, a little extra out of you. Cool. So what, what changed? What's different in your life? What happened? So... Um, so yes, my dad is a pastor, and so obviously I was taught all of the things, um, when I was growing up in church, I was taught salvation and all about the Bible, you know, God sent his son Jesus down and to die for me, and all I have to do is pray and ask him into my heart, and I'll be saved, and go, when I die, I'll go to heaven and be with him forever, and, you know, so I was taught that by my parents and by all my friends' parents and in my Sunday school classes. But um, one time when I was on a camping trip, um, I met this, you know, another kid from another camp. And he was talking about how God's a myth and, you know, that's not true. And, well, I was like, how could somebody think that? Like, I, I didn't realize that people didn't believe in God. And so I felt really bad because that must have hurt God's feelings very much. So I prayed to get saved to hopefully make him feel better that night. Um, How old were you then? I was about seven years old. Okay. <laughs> um, probably should have known better by then, but it's okay. Very considerate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then, as you know, as I got a little bit older, God was just tugging on my heart, little things here and there that were said. Um, but my fourth grade year at VBS, when I was, I don't know how old I would have been, nine, I think, um, I really learned that week that, you know, it's a relationship between you and God. That's what salvation means. It's not just, you know, like, oh, like, I feel bad for him. Like, he's a real person, and, I, like, he's somebody that I want to have a relationship and be with forever. And so I just don't feel bad. I love him, and he loves—he has always loved me. Um, so I prayed and asked God to— um, come into my heart and save me so that we could have that relationship and now I have a hope and a purpose and something to live for. How do you know that that's true? How do you know that that's real? <laughs> oh well you don't you don't have to. We, just, don't worry. I, I guess what what I'm trying to get is you guys it, it can be easy for us to be disconnected from who we're witnessing to. You did a good job. Okay. I'm not discrediting what you you can sit down. Okay. But my point is, and I mentioned this last week, you guys gotta understand the gravity of the decision that they're about to make if they're going to. I mean we're talking about things of eternity and there's a lot of spiritual forces out there that are trying to get them not to do it, try to cast doubt on them. And obviously God is on their side. The law is written on their heart. Tap into that and give them that 
But there, there's a level of, of seriousness going into that situation. They're going to be asking questions. They're going to be wondering, well, how do you – That's especially if they're analytical like I was. I was always like, yeah, but how do you know? How do you know? And it wasn't until I got to the Bible and I'm like, man, the power of the Bible spoke. That's where it's very important. Have Scripture memorized. Let the Bible speak. But I want to challenge you guys, you know, if, if and, and we'll end here in a second, but if you guys were to come up here and give your testimony, how difficult would that be for you? You know, we have three brave volunteers with a jerk like me up here, but how brave would, or how, how hard would it be for you to stand up here and just walk through those without giving a second thought? Is it something that you can just roll right through and be like, man, God, God changed my entire life. I think about where I was when I was in high school and in college and the things that were important to me we're no longer important anymore. And I see where God intersected, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty now, and I can see, man, I was this close to going a completely wrong path, but man, God's grace was so good to me. He was so merciful. I shouldn't be here today. I shouldn't be standing in front of you guys. I shouldn't be sharing these things from the Bible. I belong lost somewhere, unmarried, with kids just in a complete wreck of a life. But God struck my heart, and you know what? I responded, and I said yes. I said, God, I want whatever you have. I'm sick of this world that doesn't fulfill, it doesn't please, it doesn't uh, bring me eternal pleasure like you do, God. It's cheap. It's a cheap knockoff, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of falling down in this world. I'm sick of feeling miserable. I'm sick of feeling hopeless. Man, tap into their heart. Try not to be so robotic when you're sharing your testimony. And you can only do that when you have an honest testimony, when God is actually working in your life, when you have something to be very thankful for and God's working in your life now. Then it doesn't become work. You, become, you don't become apathetic. You become burdensome and you run out there and you're persuading men because you're persuaded in yourself. In closing, we're not going to go there. How will people know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's about how you love how you love people. Share your testimony with love. Share your testimony because you love them. Not because we're commanded to. Not because, you know, I hate that. That's what Calvinists say. Why do you witness to people? Well, the Bible says we have to. That's garbage. Share it because you love them. How well do you respond to somebody when they just do something out of duty to you? I don't want it. It's gross. I want somebody that loves me best conversations I have with people are when I'm getting into their lives, I'm touching them emotionally with the Bible and I'm showing them that I love them, that I care about their soul. No benefit to me. It doesn't affect me. Show them that you love them. That's how people know you're, gonna, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's when your words are going to matter. That's when they're going to believe you. That's when they're going to take them in and they're going to ask more questions. Keep casting that bait out. That's why we're called fishers of men. Cast that bait. You don't force feed the bait down a fish's mouth. You cast it out and wait for that bite. All right. Thank you, volunteers. I appreciate it. Let's go ahead and pray.